Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15, and Hummel's Wharf. And you can go online now to sunburymotors.com. From the comfort of your own living room, you can check out the great lines of Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai, Kia, and also their pre-owned inventory. And then you can pick out what you like, and you can buy online. That's right. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors, Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. All right, uh, Dennis Chambers in a moment. First, our play-by-play call of the day, the Twins turn three. To third, out there, out at second, a triple play! Unbelievable! Sano to the bag, there's one, there's two, another triple play! Twins turn their second triple play of the season. The first one came with Perez in the mound. The second one again with Martin. Uh, Dick Bremer, by the way, with the play-by-play call on that. Actually, one night in Fenway Park many, many years ago, the Twins actually turned two triple plays in, the, in a game. I'm like, huh. I'm sitting home like, this can't be happening. All right. With that uh, from CBS Sports, we bring in Dennis Chambers. Dennis, I hope you and yours are well and have no issues. Thank you, Steve. I hope that for the same. Hey, I appreciate that. So let's talk about the – everybody's trying to migrate in a direction toward the possibility of playing – is there a date that really is a go no go for the NBA where it's either go time or we're, or we're not going to do it? Well, I think uh, you know what was recently reported about how teams and general managers are starting to expect guidelines from the league around June first. Uh, notice how it was around June first, not June first exactly. I think gives us like a little bit of leeway in that first week of June to really be able to decide if you know, the league's going to pull the trigger if they're going to, you know, just mail it in on the season and try to, you know, start up regularly uh, uh, next year. Although I don't think that that's going to happen. I think we're going to get to, you know, about that first week, June, those first couple days in June, and the league's going to start to move towards getting players and facilities up and running to try to get some semblance of the year back. So in getting some semblance of the year back, it sounds like they'd like to take people to a location or multiple locations. Uh Orlando and Las Vegas have been the two discussed. They still want to keep it at two, or uh, they want to just go with one? I think what makes the most sense for both the league uh, and all teams, players, and everybody uh, you know, included in the situation, what's best case for their health and to be able to make this run as smoothly as possible is to just have it at one centralized location. I know people floated the idea of, like, maybe having West Co- Western Conference teams play uh, at Las Vegas and Eastern Conference teams play in Orlando and then have the winner of each, uh, you know, bracket of playoffs meet at one centralized location. But in having that situation, I think there are too many moving parts. Uh, there's too many scenarios and variables at play to where maybe, you know, a player or a handful of players or staff 
uh, could obviously come down and with COVID-19 and run the risk of uh, being positive and kind of halting all the progress the, lead has ma- the league has made up until this point. So I think when, when it's ultimately said and done, they're going to stick to one centralized location. And at this point, it seems to be that Orlando is the front runner for that. Uh, how important is it going to be? Let's give you a couple scenarios here. A, making sure there's enough hotel space based on what Orlando's doing, and also practice facilities. Well, I think the reason that Las Vegas and uh, Orlando were the two places that are floated, uh, you know, to be able to house all of the teams or if they decide that we're just going to go straight into playoffs, just be able to house the playoff teams, their staff, and then broadcast crews as well and everybody that kind of needs to be in the arena once it's showtime. Uh, it's because both of those locations, be it Disney World or Las Vegas, have the capacity to house that many people in terms of you know infrastructure right. for hotels to be able to safely, I don't want to say quarantine, but in some aspect, players are going to be expected to go from game to hotel and kind of keep you know the fraternizing at a minimum just to mitigate all of the potential pitfalls of having players play through you know a pandemic. So the to be able to, you know, have that in, in, infrastructure in place in Las Vegas, as we all know, they have plenty of hotel space, and the same goes for Disney World. Right. Uh, but also the league is comfortable with those two locations because they've had uh, summer leagues there for years and years. So they know the court space is available. They know the broadcast situation is set up and ready to go uh, to, you know, have it to the best of its ability in this particular situation. So I think both of those locations already provide enough of the basis, the basic needs that the league's going to need to get this off the ground, and then they can obviously make adjustments where they see fit. But because of the the built-in infrastructure, it makes those two uh, locations very desirable for the NBA. The NHL is still in its talks right now as to what to do, but the indication is they would go straight to the playoffs and 24 teams would make the playoffs and seven would have their seasons finished. Would the NBA consider finishing the regular season or would they consider going straight to the playoffs? I think all possibilities are kind of up in the air right now and they're they're kind of basing that off of this. Uh, you know, some players have left their markets to either go home to different places in the United States or some foreign players have returned to their home countries and they're going to need time to get back to not only, you know, their, their home market but also the United States in general and it's, you know, that's a little bit of an iffy situation right now in terms of uh, traveling to and from countries during all of this. So I think given that timeline, once the NBA sees how long it's going to take to kind of get players back in motion, give them ample time to get their bodies acclimated to playing again, uh, I think they'll decide ultimately if they're going to have a shortened season. I don't see how there's going to be enough time to go fully, you know, 82 games, but I could see a scenario where maybe they play, you know, an 8-10 to 10 game shortened schedule uh, for the rest of the regular season and then move right into the playoffs. Or also there's the, the idea that people are floating around and talking about about you know an entire league-wide tournament and kind of just going from there and basically shaking up the entire playoff situation for this year only given the, the surrounding circumstances. But I think given the timeline that we've been presented uh, and what makes the most sense would be to you know have a handful of games to let players get their legs back underneath of them and then go right into the regular uh, playoff format. So, Dennis, I talked about if, uh, in the beginning, is there a 
date where they really have to say go or no go. Now let's flip it to the other end. Is there a date they idealistically need to be finished by so they're not putting a real dent into next season? I think comfortably they would like to be concluded with the playoffs in that first week and a half of August. Uh, and that's going to be, you know, obviously difficult with uh, four playoff series and then obviously a handful of games to end the regular season. Or maybe if they get pushed back up uh, against that timeline, they can scrap the rest of the regular season just to be able to get the, the full capacity of the playoffs in. And uh, I think that really, that first, second week of August is where they'd comfortably like to land to conclude this season. But also, this gives the NBA the opportunity to push back permanently the start of their season, given this whole scenario and everything that's taken place, so that they can maybe start in December, uh, possibly on Christmas Day could be the new start of, of the NBA season. And it gives them a little bit more control over the, the way their calendar season is played. Uh, they don't have to compete with the NFL as much in that you know, mid to, to you know, end of fall, beginning of winter, where people are excited for like the first week or two of the NBA, but then it kind of subsides because the end of the NFL season is coming and then playoffs are coming. And I think in a perfect scenario, in a perfect world, the NBA would like to have you know, as much dominance over the news cycle as they possibly could and starting their season on Christmas Day and running it through July or so moving forward uh, gives them the best opportunity to do that. Let's stay with the theme of playing in Orlando for a moment. Would it be possible for the NBA, as a novelty through all this, to play a couple of games outdoors? Uh, in the right circumstances, I think so. Uh, if they have the infrastructure to be able to set up, and like we're going to come back to sports, not just the NBA, but all sports in general, at least in, in the short term, without fans. So that's a hurdle in its own right to be able to, not to get fans to tune in because, you know, I'm sure just like myself, sports fans everywhere are, are hungry to watch sports again. So they'll tune in, yeah. but it's going to be something that we're not used to seeing. And I think being able to add different intricacies like that and shake things up uh, to kind of, like you said, give it a novelty could give, you know, maybe a little bit of ease and to the shock factor of turning on you know, a high-stakes playoff game where we're usually used to 30,000, 25,000 raucous fans packed into a, an arena, and now it's basically dead silent. So, I mean, that's a good avenue to try to sidestep that, given that they can have all of the health protocols in place to do so. Interesting. Um, what do you know about the Sixers situation? I mean, some places have been able to open up. We all know Philadelphia's been a tough go here. So... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, markets are basically basing that off of, you know, what their states and their state government has allowed them to do. And as we all know, uh, Pennsylvania is still one of those uh, places in Philadelphia very much as well, where their, you know, public places aren't open uh, across the board for basically just about anything. Uh, so the Sixers and, and their organization have obviously decided to adhere by that. And I think the, the issue that the NBA has been presented with over the course of the last few weeks as we've started to see some places open back up again is to try to curb the you know the advantage that it gives these markets you know either uh in florida or in texas or in other you know places across the the country where uh facilities and other different things have been allowed to open 
the NBA has been trying to find ways to best help those teams that are in markets where that is not the case. So I think once we get closer to that June 1st or around that timeline that, that I had mentioned earlier, I think the NBA will have uh, a firm plan in place to help those teams regardless of if their facilities or you know their state rather has been fully opened. Uh, so I think you know right now the Sixers are playing their wait and wait and see approach and kind of players are are, are working out the best that they can uh, with direction from the organization at the you know their either their houses or their home gyms or what have you. Uh, but that's kind of the situation that a lot of teams are, across the NBA are dealing with right now. Yeah, we're trying to ask as many factual questions as possible. I try I've tried very hard during all this to stay away from speculative stuff. But I'm going to throw this one in here only because life as we know it on March 21st was one way. Then on April 21st, it was a little bit different. Now on May 21st, it's a little bit different. Is the door open, in your opinion, that at some point some fans are start will start to be let into some of these games? Is that a possibility if, if we continue to trend in this direction? Or is the NBA determined like, hey, Let's just keep things status quo and safe and not chance it. Yeah, I think the way we've seen the NBA react from the outset of all of this, I mean, you know, if you can remember back to the night that, that Rudy Gobert tested positive oh, oh, Dennis. before the game. Oh, Dennis, <laughs> I was in Indianapolis getting ready to broadcast the Big Ten tournament, and I saw Rudy Gobert <laughs> tested positive. I looked at everybody at the table and said, we're all done. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it felt like that immediately. So it, it yes. felt, I mean, I remember it vividly. It felt like a movie that night. I mean, it just I know. one thing after the next and then all of a sudden the season suspended and then four days later college basketball is canceled and it's you know like you said life as we know it was completely different almost at a moment's notice so the way we've watched the NBA react from moment to moment from that point I can't see a scenario even if we keep trending in the direction that we have which you know for all of the news and everything out there there has been you know, positive signs to point us in a direction that at some point in time there's going to be light at the end of the tunnel. I just don't see that for a shortened season, centralized location for the playoffs, uh, everything that we've dealt with as a society over the course of the last two months, I can't see a scenario where the NBA says, okay, let's put 15,000 fans, you know, into this this playoff game. I think we're going to be fanless, uh, you know, for the rest of the NBA season. I think maybe as we get closer to next fall and, uh, you know, as football starts to come back, I could see a scenario where if we continue this trend and there's, you know, a a mitigated second wave or whatever it is. I mean, I'm certainly not a a medical or health professional, but I could see further down the line. And then obviously when the NBA starts up again, where we have a plan in place where we can safely put some capacity of fans in buildings. But for the short term, I, I don't see a possibility to that. Dennis, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the great information. We really appreciate that. Appreciate you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. You bet. Dennis Chambers, CBS Sports. We'll come back. Senator Pat Toomey next half hour. As we continue, brought to you by Sunbury Motors here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Welcome. Great to have you with us. Thanks to Dennis Chambers, CBS Sports, for joining us. Corey Geiger, Altoona Mirror. Tomorrow we'll hear from Tariq Castro-Fields, Penn State's uh, senior corner-to-be. 
I am a big Tariq Castro Fields guy. Uh, always have been. And uh, I remember the year he signed, he was the last guy to sign. And it was a big deal to everybody to get him. And he has turned in really a terrific career here. Do you realize the last two years, he has not given up a touchdown? The last two seasons, Tariq Castro Fields has not given up a touchdown. I'm not even sure he gave up one his freshman year. I know the last two years he hasn't. And one day in practice, this was before the Maryland game. Now, in the Maryland game, he did have an interception. Before the Maryland game, he came up to me and he says, Steve, he says, man, i got to get more interceptions. I only have one. And I said, Tariq, I said, there's a prerequisite to getting an interception. He goes, well, what's that? I said, they have to throw the ball in your direction. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, that's true. Because he's the kind of guy you don't want to throw at. And let's go back to what I just said. He hasn't given up a touchdown pass. I don't think he's given up one. I know he hasn't given up one the last two years. I don't think he's given up one in his career, even his freshman year. And it turned out that week he he made, I thought, was the biggest play of the game against Maryland. Yeah, it ends up being a route. But remember, Maryland's driving and the crowd's getting into it, getting into it. They have a chance to take, I think it was a 14 nothing Penn State lead and cut it in half. And Tariq picked it off at the five-yard line. And he ran it back to like the 10-15, something like that. And I thought that was that really shut the door at that point. That really told Maryland, you are not going to win tonight. And then Penn State turned around and marched straight downfield and made it 21-0. Yeah. He was banged up last season, as all of you could tell, because there are times that he had to, you know, that you could see him coming out of the game. I think he is poised to have an outstanding senior season. In fact, he has all the tools, length, understanding of leverage, cover skills, smarts, where he could put together the kind of season where he could be the first ever Penn State corner to be a first-round pick in the NFL draft. Now, it takes a lot to be one of those 32 guys. There's no getting around it. But he does have that. He has what it takes to get there. Now it's going to be a question of getting there. This is not a guy out there trying to get there dealing with only half the deck of cards. He's got he's got all that. He knows how to play. He understands the concept of leverage, and he has the physical gifts, especially the length that makes a big difference. We'll hear from Tariq Castro-Fields tomorrow on the show, and also tomorrow, Derek Gunn of NBC Philadelphia. And the king is on tomorrow to talk a little trivia. So, there we Now... Today, Senator Pat Toomey hosted a forum with health experts and representatives from Major League Baseball, Little League, Softball, about youth sports. We care a lot about youth sports. And it's going to be beautiful this weekend, 78 degrees. Let's face it, Matt Catrillo is going to be the Little League coach for Little Luke. I can see it now. I would love to do that, yeah. I did that for 14 years with uh, my three boys. I did also a softball year with my my daughter. Then she didn't really she didn't really do it anymore. Anyway, so that's why it was only the one year. But with my three boys, 
the last game I coached, I'm down there and I'm in the third base box. And when it was over, my wife Kathy comes up to me and says, Gee, what were you thinking in the last inning? I said, We had a run I said, I had a runner on first. I said I had one out, and I was trying to figure out a way to get him into scoring position to tie the game. She says, that's what you were thinking? I said, yeah. So if we could tie the game up, the kids would have a chance to win. I said, I I just want the kids to win for them. I don't really care about me. (laughs) Who cares? I want, let's face it, I don't care what anybody says. Golly gee willikers, winning's more fun. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you can go online anytime to sunburymotors.com. You can check out the great lines of Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai, Kia, and tremendous pre-owned inventory. You can shop, pick out something you really like, and then you can sit down and find out what deal you can get. You can do all this from the luxury of your own living room. All at sunburymotors.com. Today, uh, Senator Pat Toomey hosted a forum with health with a health expert and representatives from Major League Baseball, Little League Baseball, uh, Steve Keener, who was just on this show two weeks ago. And the spotlight was on the safe resumption of youth baseball and softball. We'll talk to the senator in just a few moments as soon as uh, he calls into the show. And uh, we'll have a conversation with him about what they discovered, which I found in going through this was uh, actually very interesting. Uh, So many of you are out there Usually a Little League practice season gets going in in April, and then you get a Little League or a softball season going really in May and right up until about that third week of June, just about when school lets out. Then they have tournament teams that get to play. And I don't mean just the ones that have the opportunity to go to Williamsport. There are other tournament teams that play as well. Youth sports are tremendous. They're great for the youngsters. Give them that sense of teamwork. Gets them out in the fresh air. And... It's also great for the parents. Gets them out of the house, you know. You're out there watching them play and participate, but it gets everybody out of the house. And we'll talk to them about uh, what they discussed at this forum, and we will do that with him in just a few minutes when he does call in. Remember, being a U.S. senator, he is a bit busy, all right? And yesterday we were going to have him on, but they had a vote yesterday. Well, the vote was actually another important one along the way. That's him doing his job. We just appreciate the fact he's giving us some time this afternoon to do so, and I believe he is online with us right now. It is always interesting when the host of the show and the guest, the senator, have a few things in common. So what do the host of the show and the senator have in common? Oh, I don't know. Both of their moms are of Portuguese ancestry. Both of them have all their maternal great-grandparents born in the Azores. Mine even further. My grandparents were born in the Azores. Back when they argued, they argued in Portuguese. So the host and the senator have a lot more in common than people realize. And with that, we bring in Senator Pat Toomey. 
Senator, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you with us on the show. Thanks for having me, Steve. I didn't realize we were cousins. Yeah, I mean, uh, mine would be Sal Miguel in the Azores. So yeah, that's so where the... mine. Yeah, that's where my family's from. See, there we go. We have a lot in common, including that. All right. We also have a lot in common in terms of how we feel about youth sports. And uh, Senator Toomey, uh, you put together this forum, virtual forum, with health experts, reps from Major League Baseball, Little League, and so forth. In the end, after listening to all the points of view, what were some conclusions that you came to based on what they told you? Well, by far and away, the dominant theme was we can, in fact, resume Little League baseball, um, baseball for boys, softball for girls. Uh, the you know Children have a very, very low risk of contracting COVID-19. Uh, the nature of these sports is that kids are spread out. It's played out of doors where the virus is not easily transmitted. Uh, we're ready, really, to do this. So that was the consensus view. In fact, it was the unanimous view of uh, the panelists that we had, including the arguably the best shortstop ever to play for the Phillies. <laughs> uh, and, and, and his uh, he's got daughters, and he wants them playing uh, softball. Uh, we had the Jenny Finch, arguably the greatest uh, woman softball player in American history, and no she's doubt. got kids that are, are playing sports uh, outside already. And they, they just did a great job making the case for why we can do this. We also had uh, a doctor who specializes in epidemiology and has done a tremendous amount of research in this field, and he explained why uh, it's really very safe for kids. So um, I, I, I agree with them. I think they made a great, uh, great series of points, and they stressed how good it is for kids' health to be able to have that kind of uh, team athletic opportunity. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a terrific conversation. I appreciate it, and I hope we'll be able to get on with resuming baseball. Yeah, no question. And the person you're referring to is Dr. Jay Bachara, who is uh, from Stanford, and he cited a story, from, a, a study from Iceland, about the ability of a child to pass it up Instead, it's actually passed right. down, and I thought that was actually one of the more important elements of this discussion. Did you view it that way too, Pat? Yeah, that's exactly right, and that's important because, uh, you know, parents are understandably apprehensive about their kids, and if they get to the point where they uh, understand that the risk for their kids are, are very, very low, uh, much lower, in fact, than the risk of getting seriously ill from the ordinary flu. Uh, there's no question the numbers are overwhelmingly uh, there are far more kids adversely affected by the flu than there are by the coronavirus. Um, but the remaining concern can be, well, could the kids pass it on to other people in the family? And uh, the doctor uh, explained that that uh, looks like that's extremely rare. So let's flip it to the other side, though. In order for youth sports to go, it's one thing for a group of youngsters to get together in the neighborhood, play a little basketball, play some softball, play some baseball. But in organized sports, there are coaches, and the coaches are adults. So what are the important protocols that need to be in place for youth coaches so they can coach and everybody can have a great time with this and feel safe? Yeah, so Steve, uh, people won't be surprised when they see them. It's about keeping a reasonable amount of distance. It's about frequent hand washing. 
and 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 it's those kinds of things. But I, I wouldn't want to try to uh, characterize them precisely because Little League Baseball has done us the favor of laying this out all in detail on their website. Yep. So I would encourage people go there. You can and, and they took their time and got a lot of input from healthcare and epidemiological and public health professionals in putting together those protocols. So they're right there for everyone to look at and for people to follow. I mean, I, I think it makes all the sense in the world to follow those guidelines closely. That's a great point, by the way. And we had Steve Keener on the show just two weeks ago talking about exactly that. Uh, what does it mean... What can sports mean to the psyche of the country, not just on a youth level, but also on a professional and college level, by returning and returning safely? That's a great point, and and I think it means a lot. You know, uh, you know, sports are a big part of our culture. It's a part of how we enjoy each other's company, and it's part of what what, what friends uh, talk about and share. And and there's the the emotion that goes with the investment that we all make in the teams that we root for and it, you know it's part of who we are it's it's part of our country and our society and people really miss it and getting it back will will feel so good um i i'm I, i'm no psychologist but i gotta believe it's uh, it's good for the soul to be able to return to your favorite uh, forms of recreation and entertainment, and for so many of us, it's sports. Because I know Jack Ham and I are so anxious to get back in the Penn State broadcast booth, but obviously under safe conditions and so right. forth, we just feel it'd be it would it would just do a lot for just for the confidence of everybody if it's able yeah. to happen and they show they can do it in a proper way and there are no incidents. No, that's exactly right. That's a very good point. It will really instill a lot of confidence, and I think it's appropriate to instill that confidence because I think we can do this safely, and I think we can get back to uh, a uh, you know normal kinds of activity with with precautions that we didn't used to take, but we will. One quick point before I move forward here, and that is the fact that you even put this together. What is that telling us about the thought process? There's so many big picture things to talk about. But you focused on this particular day to make sure that you focused in on young people, which also was a focus on parents and grandparents because getting them out and doing something. How important is that and being a father yourself, especially with a 10-year-old, how did that help you focus in on this to get this kind of panel together? Well, it, it occurred to me, Steve, and this is just a, an intuition, uh, but uh, I just felt like in all the conversations that we have and all the the disputes and arguments and, and the, the struggles that we are having to come to grips with this crisis, I haven't heard as much discussion about kids and what effect is this all having on children. But, yeah, you know, I've got a 10-year-old who hasn't been going to school, and he can't play Little League baseball, and he can't play with his buddy down the road like he normally does. And, you know, he's doing fine. I think he's going to be just fine. But it's having an effect on him. And, you know, there might be other kids who are in much more difficult circumstances. And I thought it was just uh, an element of, of this discussion that was missing, and I wanted to uh, put a spotlight on it. And, and you certainly did. There was that cartoon I saw in a paper somewhere a couple of weeks ago, and there were two girls talking to each other and said, oh, my teacher is just giving me the hardest time. She just doesn't know what she's doing. And the other one looks at her and says, that's okay, Mom's doing the best she can. Uh, so. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do the best we can. Um, 
just very quickly for you, what has this time personally been like for you over the last couple of months trying to deal with so many twists and turns with this? And how optimistic are you now compared to even two months ago? Well, it's been quite intense. I, I didn't realize how intense it would be after we passed the legislation because the negotiations and the process of getting that legislation done was uh, really, really tough. And, you know, remember, it wasn't long ago that we weren't passing anything that was bipartisan, but this legislation passed unanimously. And so that was a very intense period. But then I discovered that uh, immediately afterwards, as as the Treasury and the Small Business Administration uh, especially were setting up some of the programs to keep business alive, well, you know, there were a lot of hiccups along the way, a lot of bumps in that road, and a lot of constituents reaching out to me to say, hey, could we change this? Could we do this uh, somewhat differently? So it was a very intense process of implementing uh, all of this. Uh, of course, some of it I did out of quarantine in my basement, uh, and, and then I graduated to being a full-fledged citizen of my house, and I was able to come upstairs, and that was a, <laughs> yeah. that was a big improvement in quality of life. Yep. Uh, you know, when I regained the uh, the status that our dog has in the house. <laughs> um, but, but uh, you know, it, it's, it's been gratifying that I feel like we have been able to respond, and for all the imperfections of the response, I, I think it's helping. Uh, we're helping people by replacing them. And I believe we lost him there for a second. So that happens on cell phones from time to time. We, we might be able to avoid a really... Lost him there again a little bit. All right. Uh, well, with that, I don't want to cut him off in mid-sentence, only because... I think we lost him on the cell connection there, which is going to happen. But we greatly appreciate the fact that he took some time to be with us today. And hopefully at some point, once all of this settles down, we can get the senator and his family and his 10-year-old son to come up to a Penn State football game. That would be great and see him here. Our thanks to Senator Pat Toomey for the, the time he gave us today. Uh, and again, I think it's important that in all of this, there are so many big-picture things to look at, that the senator took the time to look at something that is very, very grassroots. And they took the time to look at the grassroots of youth sports, the grassroots of getting them back to a softball field like Jenny Finch, getting them back to a baseball field like Jimmy Rollins. And they also backed it up in this forum with science. Also included Tony Regans, who at one point, uh, if he's the executive vice president for baseball and softball development for Major League Baseball, at one point he was with the L.A. Angels. Those are some of the people that were involved in this. And greatly appreciate the fact that uh, they actually did this. They got some good information out there. And, again, I'll go back to what Dr. J wrote, just so you know. This is what he said and he's um, epidemiologist, Stanford University School of Medicine. It is very unlikely that kids will pass the COVID-19 infection to their parents or to adults. 
It almost always runs the other direction. I'll just give you one study. There's a study done in Iceland where some scientists sequenced the genome of every single COVID-19 virus that they found, and they sampled, I think, 12 to 15% of the population. What they look for is mutations in those genes of the virus. From the mutation patterns, you can tell who passed the virus to whom in the statistical sense. What they concluded was that there was no evidence at all of any infections passed from kids to parents or other adults. Zero. Now, there may have been some cases we can point to that say there is some. So I literally can't say zero, but at least in this study there was zero. There is always that possibility. What we can say, pretty certainly, is that there is much less likely the other way around it's actually much less likely than the other way around, where adults could pass the virus to kids. That's why I asked about the parents coaching, and he then properly pointed out, go to the Little League Baseball website. They have the protocols there. Because remember what um, Steve Keener said, even though there will be no Little League World Series this summer, if leagues, and this goes for softball too, If leagues can get started because they're allowed to and it's safe to, they are encouraging them to play. And if they even want to have tournaments, they can play as long as it's safe and all the protocols are followed. So Steve Keener endorsed that and put it that way. So that was your basic grassroots segment right there. All right. We'll come back with more in a moment. As we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK, brought to you by Sunbury Motors. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Sunbury Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Mertz family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC way? The SMC way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Today's show brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Key, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And you go to sunburymotors.com, Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. And also great pre-owned inventory, all at sunburymotors.com. You can go through the process in the comfort of your own living room. By the way, that is true, just so you know. Uh, my... My grandparents, my maternal great-grandparents, like Senator Toomey's. So all, all four of my great-grandparents uh, were born in San Miguel in the Azores. Now, the next step is my grandparents were also born San Miguel in the Azores. Now, they came over to this country very young, right? And 
So yeah, his mom's Portuguese, mine's Portuguese, and um, and that's where his family ancestry is. San Miguel and the Azores. So it is true. How about that? Yep. My grandparents, yeah, they lived. We lived about ninety miles away, so we probably would. We'd probably go up five, six, seven times a year to see them. You know, every once in a while. Yeah, for the most part, everything's great, awesome. I mean, my mother, my grandmother would crush me in Scrabble. <laughs> it's like we'd sit there with the peanut M and M's, and she'd crush me like a grape. My, my grandfather and I go to ball games, and they were marvelous people. Loved them to death. Right now, every once in a while, something happens, and when they argued, they argued in Portuguese. <laughs> my brother and I are looking at each other like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Like okay, <laughs> uh, I told you the story about Gil Santos, didn't I? I think so. Yeah, Gil, Gil Santos, his his, his same thing. His family is from San Miguel and the Azores. So I told him. I, I told him the story. He says, "Really?" Right. Okay. So we were had a game at Boston College, and my parents came up to the hotel. And so I said, hey, by the way, Gil, so I want you to meet my parents. And he looks at my mother and he says, oh, my God, you are Portuguese. (laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to tell you that. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) That's the funny thing about that. That's about the last thing people expect. I'll bet, I'll bet I'll bet when it came to either Senator Toomey or me, the last thing you would have expected, oh, what's your ancestry? Oh, we're both like half Portuguese. Huh? Tis true. That's probably the only, the only that's probably the only time he's ever been introduced that way. It's sports. We try to have some fun here. That's what Sunbury Motors expects. 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia, Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, and at sunburymotors.com. Can't wait for tomorrow. We'll have Tariq Castro-Fields on the show tomorrow, along with Derek Gunn from NBC Philadelphia.